This is the Epilogue Audio Experience. Hello listeners, welcome to Brewing Talks. I'm Madhulika, your host for the show. And I'm a passionate marketer, podcaster, and an entrepreneur in the business of marketing and communication. You know, friends, a few days back, I was browsing through some, you know, certain keywords on Google. You know, I just wanted to research a little more about uh, topics like what makes a great leader. And when I went on typing these keywords, I got a series of web links, uh, you know, like how Google throws up certain websites. And I received a lot of such links which spoke about great leadership traits, what makes a great leader. Uh, then I also you know, got a few reference links for some books written on leadership by several authors. But I was actually thinking uh, more than browsing through these links and researching about leadership as a trait and on what kind of leaders we've had in the past. Uh, I was thinking that, you know, it, it gets so real when you meet someone in person, uh, experience a vision, experience a leader in actual. And I think that's that's where you can really understand how leadership works. And one such person I know or rather have the pleasure of knowing is on this show today. I'm talking about Mr. Dilip Puri, the founder and CEO of Indian School of Hospitality, as we call it, ISH. ISH is an institution of higher education focused on reshaping hospitality and culinary arts education for today's generation and tomorrow's business. Mr. Dilip, welcome to Brewing Talks. Thank you, Madhulika. It's a pleasure being here. I'm going to say a few more lines about you, though it's not enough, but uh, the listeners would want to know more about Mr. Dilip Puri. Uh, Okay, so uh, Dilip has served as the Managing Director of Starwood Hotels and Resorts, South Asia before he set out to be an education entrepreneur and founded ISH. Dilip has over 30 years of experience in the field of hospitality. He is recognized as one of the thought leaders on hospitality education. He is also a speaker and a columnist for various publications. Okay, so today's topic, uh, we are uh, actually going to focus on, uh, you know, rather the conversation is going to be about shaping professions for the future. So while while a person can spend several years in a profession or may be starting a career, you know, it it takes it takes a while to find your true calling right in going beyond uh, beyond the ordinary, as they say, and making a mark for oneself. So, Dilip, I would like to start this conversation by actually asking you about your journey of 30 years in the mainstream hotel industry and then how you, you know, you started on a vision journey to set up ISH. What was this driving force behind this? So very quickly, my uh, background, if you like, um, uh, a fairly typical um, middle class armed forces background traveled to all parts of India with my parents in my very early years, went to boarding school at a young age. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, like you just said, I'd never set my thought or mind at that age in what I wanted to do with my future. Mm-hmm. Uh, even then, uh, going with the flow was more the norm in my way of thinking, uh, though in that generation, which I'm talking about growing up in the 70s, uh, you know, okay. parents expected you to have decided what you want to do. Right, right. You're going to go into your dad's profession or not. That was one thing I was very clear on that I wasn't. But mm-hmm. um, I, I went through uh, high school and university um, without having made any choices about what I wanted to do in the future. Um, mm-hmm. To your point about today, we're talking about what are the professions of the future. But even then, um, I always believe that um, I have to explore more, know more, understand more before I can make the right choices about what I want to do. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think, you know, in many ways that holds good for young students of today, the way we're experiencing them in ISH, and we'll talk about that as well. So when I finished university with an economics degree, um, I actually went and then did a postgraduate uh, uh, qualification in hospitality at the at the Oberoi Center for Learning and Development. Mm-hmm. Um, so in some ways, you could say I was an accidental hotelier. Um, <laughs> it's, it's, it's a funny story where I was challenged by my father and uh, my then brother-in-law that uh, even if you try, you'll never make it into the Oberoi school. So it was more out of um, 
a sense of proving something to them rather than to myself that I went through okay. it. Uh, and when I did qualify and get into the program, uh, my father had told me that if you get in, then I'll leave it to your choice what you want to do in the future. Mm-hmm. And in those days, I was still loving university, college. I thought I'd do my master's and things like that. But when I got in like a good um, uh, military officer, he said, well, I'm not paying for any more of your education, so you better start working. Mm-hmm. And okay. so I, I came into the uh, industry. Uh, I guess I was fortunate that uh, I took to the industry in many ways like a fish to water, if you like. Um, it was very easy for me to uh, begin to love what I was doing. Um, it, it, it was hard in those days. Uh, uh, as you keep hearing in hospitality, it's a 24-hour industry. Is young mm. uh, managers um, going through the ropes um, uh, building up your foundations for a leadership career of the future. You went through some hard hours uh, uh, and did some hard things, but while doing them, I don't think I ever felt they were hard. I just felt that okay. Um, okay. Uh, while they may be hard in terms of either hours of work or the complexity of work, but am I having fun doing it? Right. Uh, and I think, uh, you know, that kept me motivated enough that all the roles I had in my formative years of my career but roles I enjoyed doing. I, I can't okay. think of an assignment or a role or a brand or a company I worked for where I didn't have fun working. Uh, nice. uh, and, and so as I transitioned into leadership uh, uh, roles in our industry, or well, let's say my first role as a general manager, um, that was, uh, to my mind, where my true, the beginnings of real hardcore learning began. Because mm-hmm. up until then, you were learning I would say in many ways, technical skills of, you know, the trade of, of being good at uh, uh, operations or um, sales or understanding the nuances of your own P&Ls and all that. But when you transition into a general manager and we were always told then, you know, a general manager of a hotel is like, you know, the captain of a ship. It's it's your ship to sail mm-hmm. want. Um, and, and honestly, if I think back, I was not prepared for that. Because okay. the kind of people skills, the kind of business skills, the kind of market skills, um, you know, in many ways, you're not taught those in your formative years. You're supposed to experience them, understand them. If you were working in operations, you must have had something to do with sales, marketing, finance, HR, so you should have learned them. There was no continuous learning provided in those days, right? Executive education as a concept was quite nascent. Mm-hmm. globally not just in India so we learned along the way and and I think um, you know the last 20 years uh, prior to ISH which were my leadership years in the hospitality industry were you know as much uh, uh, fun though but uh, a massive amount of learning for me acquiring just so much of knowledge globally I traveled and worked in many countries in Australia in Africa in India mm-hmm. different cultures uh, I think the exposure to global cultures was a big part of my leadership learning, um, a big part of what I'm able to apply now in my entrepreneurial journey as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it was during those years of leadership that I think the the, the subconscious, uh, 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 you know, bias towards education, which I think existed in me forever, uh, began to emerge, if you like. Uh, as you grow into leadership, um, you know, you firstly communicate more. Uh, you, right. you work with and you lead larger teams of people. So those skills you're acquiring of uh, communication, uh, relationships, interactions, people, uh, it all suggested to me that uh, the more power I have to communicate effectively, the more I'll able to influence people uh, with whatever I'm speaking to them about. Um, mm-hmm. And in many ways, over my leadership years, whether it was public speaking, whether it was, whether it was you know, internal meetings. Uh, I looked upon uh, communication as a very key uh, aspect of leadership where if you can truly communicate your vision right, only then can you expect that people will execute and deliver on that vision. Uh, And so uh, I found that the the desire to share knowledge, transfer knowledge was becoming stronger and stronger. Uh, Mm -hmm. In my last role in my career, as you'd mentioned in introducing me, I was uh, the managing director for Starwood. So, um, you know, we had a large portfolio in South Asia. Mm. We were hiring and recruiting, um, you know, a significant number of people across all the hotels we were opening. 
Um, and I began to see this big gap, if you like, in talent. Mm -hmm. Firstly, wanting to come into hospitality and then talent studying hospitality, then wanting to work in the hospitality industry. Uh, and we were simply unable to find uh, the right ta talent. And so that's when it struck me that when you look at um, not just the hospitality industry, the way people understand it to be hotels and resorts. I mean, hospitality is probably the cornerstone for any any customer centric industry. Uh, right. Today, when you look, when you think about it, even in banks, what do you call the person you typically deal with? A relationship manager. Right. Now, the word relationship itself suggests that you have those skills to be able to build, manage, maintain, uh, expand relationships. Uh, and mm -hmm. I think that comes from a certain amount of customer centricity, which comes um, from a huge amount of soft skills which are required, uh, comes from being able to truly bring out, um, you know, all your own subconscious biases uh, to develop empathy, to really understand how, um, you know, you can work emotion quotient into business decision making. I think all those things, um, you know, struck me in a way in which I just knew what I had to do, which was to create this global quality uh, educational institution. I had the luxury of time uh, during my leadership years um, mm -hmm. in Starwood. I was very strongly supported by my um, bosses above me in Singapore and the U.S., my global CEO. Um, mm -hmm. It's usually encouraging of my entrepreneurial ambitions, if you like. And um, um, so it came to pass that after having thought it through, planned, gotten ready, I took the step uh, circa four years ago. And um, uh, so here I am, as as you said, the founder and CEO of the Indian School of Hospitality. Great, great. That's a wonderful journey, uh, uh, Dilip. So, uh, so is was was it the gap in education in this area uh, is what was one of the key drivers for you to you know consider getting into opening up ISH or was it something beyond? Obviously, vision, as you said, is there, and your own will to kind of you know uh, contribute back to this industry in in such a such an amazing way. Uh, I mean, were there other factors as well? I mean, what else was, you know, there, what else, what else uh, as gaps were existing, you know, uh, besides obviously maybe the, the lack of, uh, you know, reaching out, uh, you know, students not getting the right information or the right uh, education for skill sets. So what else did exist at that time that drove this kind of, uh, you know, vision for you? I guess in many ways, uh, as you said, yes, the, the the talent gap in our own industry was one of the key drivers. It suggested to me that there's a business opportunity here. Uh, and one of the things when people transition um, from a corporate professional role into entrepreneurship, um, mm -hmm. you know, you are often self-censoring yourself. Uh, you, you, you are in your own mind creating barriers to say why uh, you were a successful corporate professional, but entrepreneurship is a whole different ball game. It indeed Correct. is. Correct. Uh, and the more time you have to prepare, plan, objectively uh, uh, understand, not just go with your emotions saying, I will be an entrepreneur. I mean, mm -hmm. every young kid today who we admit into ISH aspires mm -hmm. to be an entrepreneur. And I find it um, challenging to temper those uh, uh, ambitions with some reality checks. But uh, the point is that, yes, the talent gap was one driver, but I was, you know, by then, I guess I was smart enough to understand that I have to tick a lot of boxes. Most importantly, mm -hmm. all my learnings as a leader in developing hotels, for example, I would see owners of hotels who wouldn't plan what they wanted to do when they were building a hotel and land up either overspending on it or underspecking on it. And finally, if it wasn't successful, um, you know, the responsibility always came on the operator, which was us who put our brands and operated their hotels. But right. I learned, you know, you have to firstly make sure you're financially secure. You've got to make sure that you understand clearly how long a runway do you need um, in terms of whether it's cash flows and cash burning, the amount of equity you have to raise, what kind of fixed costs don't you want to have when you start off something? Um, so when you have the time and the ability to plan um, how your entrepreneurship venture will be financially secure, uh, mm -hmm. I think that's a big driver, if you like. So in my journey, while I was still in Starwood, I'd begun to talk to a lot of people, colleagues, um, other you know entrepreneurs, uh, many of them known to me through my career. And I mm -hmm. just 
took a huge amount of gyan and and that's when i decided okay. that you know my model is going to be raising capital from hni investors whom i know who are in hospitality who understand this gap and look at it as a very sound business model and that's how i raised my initial capital and secured ourselves financially first right uh, uh, it's it's only when i was sure of that that i began to think about now you know what do i want to do with the brand i want to create uh, i didn't know very much more than hospitality as industry mm-hmm. uh, and so rather than be everything to everybody and get into the larger more commoditized form of higher education um i believe that we would exploit uh, you know the niche which not just hospitality but hospitality centric sectors and businesses which today encompass almost all services businesses um that we would stay true to that niche and so that's what we set out to build um from brand ish's perspective um okay. uh, and as importantly to make sure that we are truly global in terms of the quality we offer and truly world class in terms of the infrastructure campus faculty um uh, securing ourselves financially uh, allowed me to make sure that um i could bring in very very um uh, you know high quality academic and industry experienced faculty paying them salaries which market and corporates pay not which education pays mm-hmm. in india unfortunately Uh, as a legacy uh, education teaching higher education has been seen well if you can't do anything else let's do that when it comes to mm-hmm. teachers and faculty uh, the idea was to you know disrupt that and that was only possible if you brought in high quality people and paid them what they would earn if they could work in harvard university if you like or for a big corporate um, mm-hmm. and i think that allowed us uh, to do a couple of things which which helped build our brand um and our messaging communications was always about or is always about um we certainly have no desire to be the biggest in what we do we just have to be the best in what we do mm-hmm. and we can be the best in what we do because we're doing something fairly specific um for for all the thousands of workers which the mass commoditized universities will produce they'll all need hundreds of leaders and i think that's what i said just by us to provide wow okay wow that's great So Dilip uh, education is a broad topic but if I if I ask you what has been the overall uh, education how is the education sector shaping up post covid i'm sure there has been some eye openers and you know some key learnings uh, post this pandemic so how do you th- has there been any shifts any trends changing overall uh, indeed uh, i like to use the analogy if you go back to um, november 2017 when the prime minister announced demonetization mm-hmm. um it was you know an event of very significant proportions uh, uh to to a majority of people but one day to the next if you think about it the sector which just blossomed was financial technology or fintech as we know it uh, right. prior to demonetization not too many people had heard of paytm it almost became a generic word after that right correct correct if you fast forward to covid and what the pandemic did to people uh what what demonetization did was also change the social habit for indians instead of being more comfortable mm. with cash we got comfortable using uh, digital currency uh the pandemic did the same thing to learning and education people whether it was students whether it was working professional whether it was any demographic they were mm-hmm. just forced to consume learning online uh without right. a choice um education technology digital ed products existed even prior to covid um uh, the courseras of the world existed prior to covid they were nice mm-hmm. to do things they weren't necessary to do things uh, what covid did was make them almost necessary right mm-hmm. um, i think that change of habit prior to that when you look at consumption patterns of indian consumers uh, in terms of their um internet usage uh while a lot of it was entertainment infotainment news all those kind of things sports right. uh, but education learning uh was was a very small proportion today that's dramatically changed okay okay um, if you look at any uh, person's linkedin profile typically over the pandemic period you find so many of them proudly showing off hmm. different uh, courses they did online correct correct and how much it's impacted them and how great it is and all that i mean you could have done all of those even before covid 
Correct. Right? Correct. So now, when you when you take that change of habit into where learning um, through digital channels or or blended mediums, uh, I think that's the uh, uh, real metamorphosis which education is going to see. And coupled with during the pandemic, if you would recollect, the government announced the National Education Policy 2020, a document which was in the making for several years, but they finally um, announced it. And that's pretty transformational if, uh, you know, the government executes it correctly. Um, Mm -hmm. And many of what the new NEP envisages higher education institutions to become and do uh, uh, you know, I'm very proud to say that almost all those things we were doing from day one of setting up ISH, uh, right. in terms of bringing in global quality, international uh, education brands into India, uh, we were able to, for example, Madhulika, transition our offline campus curriculums into mm. online uh, 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 deliveries almost overnight in 24 hours because we had invested in the technology We'd invested in the people who understood, adapted, and used that technology. So our students had no downtime uh, when the lockdown was first announced. And over the eight months before they started coming back to campus, I think we did over 2,000 hours of online delivery, including some very interesting experimentations with delivering practical learning online. You know, hospitality in its first year of education, there's a lot of practical learning as well. And... um, uh, so, you know, we learned from students in the way they would consume, in which they were consuming the learning. Our faculty aligned and digitized their content accordingly. Um, it actually became such that when we brought them back to campus and how we now today, you know, operating in ISH, uh, every class is a blended class. Uh, we have to mm-hmm. maintain social norms. So half the students are in campus, in class, and another half are Zooming in. Uh, the camera angles, the microphone, all the technology required to make sure that the experience mm-hmm. of learning is as seamless for the student zooming in as it is for the student in class. I think that's something that's going to stay. Uh, imagine the benefits of that spillover when students don't have to travel into college every day. You're doing a full-time degree. Mm-hmm. Um, you're full-time in college, but it doesn't mean that you have to be in campus every day. Uh, you, you imagine the benefits to you know not having to travel, uh, lessening pollution. Uh, you can you can make more efficient use of the real estate and the space you have. So all those things are going to impact both traditional higher education and obviously education technology and digital education. I mean those um, sectors, the sector of education technology, I think is going to be the biggest thing going forward. Like what fintech was after demonetization, I think edtech. Um, if you think about uh, the IPL, which was held uh, mm-hmm. late last year, almost every brand advertising there, from Baiju mm-hmm. as the sponsor of the Indian team, to Unacademy, to Upgrad, to all these guys. Correct. Correct. I mean, you can see that um, edtech um, startups have almost become unicorns overnight, so many of them. Um, right. So that's where I see the future of education. And, and, and as I always say, digital education is not new. Uh, COVID has not... Uh, uh, changed it. It's only accelerated uh, uh, digital education, uh, whether it's from a content perspective, whether it's from a platform perspective. Um, when you look at today, the ways or the channels used to deliver learning, whether it's Skype or Zoom or any of these things, you'll begin to see so much more technology being embedded into this when truly you're embedding virtual reality, augmented reality and AI all into making this classroom experience more seamless, even though a student is beaming in online. I think mm-hmm. that's when uh, you'll see the true blending of education where, uh, as people would say, campus life engagement uh, in class is very important. Um, right. And you blend that uh, with online uh, uh, learning using even more advanced tools of technology as they'll come on. So I think that's the future of education. And that's the way the sector is going to shape up. We're certainly very well positioned to take advantage of that. And I think um, a lot of this comes from, uh, in many ways, for example, the amount of money we spent on building technology into our campus, into our infrastructure, just the way we've developed our campus. This was all, you know, a huge part of preparing us to not just ride the storm of the pandemic to actually thrive. Mm -hmm. 
Right. Uh, so, Dilip, yes, uh, while I agree that uh, e-education is the uh, the new normal uh, moving forward, you know, when it comes to education sector or imparting knowledge and information, uh, can we comfortably say this for someone living in a remote area in India? So, we are, if we are essentially talking about India right now and we're talking about online education growing, is it going to be benefiting someone who may not be living in a city and will still need access to education and information? Uh, is it a privilege for them equally as much as it is for us uh, who, you know, we are living in metro. So I think it comes a bit easy. So what do, how do you see that situation improving over a period of time? Yeah, well, two parts to that. I think firstly, uh, today we have students who come in from tier two cities to study at ISH, tier three cities as well. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, look, our education specifically from how brand ISH is is, is uh, evolving, um, it's not education for everybody. Quite uh, mm-hmm. honestly, everybody can't afford it. But what technology is doing is allowing us to take significant elements of that education to be available to many more people through online mediums. Mm-hmm. Now, when you talk about people living in semi-urban uh, uh, areas, um, if the kind of jobs that hospitality skill uh, training will allow them to get within the ecosystems, you don't want more rural migration because that kind of learning will only get me a job in a big city. When you look right. at India as a tourism travel destination, for example, we're amongst you know the best in the world in terms of what we can offer and afford as tourism products. Um, but whether it's through uh, a lack of understanding of how much of a GDP accelerated tourism can be, um, mm-hmm. we simply haven't put enough focus on it. But today you can see in the post-pandemic uh, uh, era, none of the people involved in anything to do with tourism and travel, whether it's airlines, whether it's hospitality, whether it is food and beverage, nobody's depending on foreign travelers and tourists to come, right? They're all hyping up the big domestic Indian market. Right. Uh, now, that big Indian domestic market is going to travel to all corners of India because that's where India's true beauty is. You look at uncharted areas in the Northeast or places like that. I think those are opportunities where through technology, through education, we can skill and equip people with those competencies to be able to create tourism products, uh, services, other uh, things. I mean, whether it is retailing, whether it is um, running mm. a restaurant, whether it is uh, you know, um, flying a regional airline there. These are all services, businesses, and mm-hmm. these are what are needed to go out to other parts of India than we restrict to metros, if that answers your question. So I think, yes, right. a lot of our education will be able to be accessible by many more. Mm-hmm. Internet penetration is only going to improve as soon as 5G services come out um, mm-hmm. in the next year, two years. I think um, India, both from its demographic divide uh, which makes our younger population who are far more adaptable Correct. to technology uh, and, you know, the, the continued permeation of technology in terms of uh, internet accessibility to more people. I think, you know, any any services through technology. Today, it right. has not always been about SaaS, software as a service. Today, everything is as a service. And uh, my own sense is that a better learning, better development of mindsets, competencies, and understanding services, delivering services is a key part of what education can do. And I think that's where we should Okay, wonderful. Uh, Dilip, you said something uh, very interesting in the beginning uh, when we we're talking about, you know, how hospitality as a subject also is not confined to only hotels or aviation or let's say tourism in this case. It's it's grown, right? It's grown. It's now we are looking at banking sector. We're looking at retail, obviously, even e-commerce, right? We, we talk about e-commerce brands, which are so focused on delivering the right service experience to its customers. So uh, you think this is a recent phenomenon where there is so much of emphasis. So I was at a retail store last evening and I see this signage board where it spoke about having a dedicated relationship uh, manager to you when you walk into the store so that the person can guide you what you know what brand looks best on you or what how can they help you further which was really i was surprised like this was not the case earlier right so what is driving that this kind of service based or hospitality based phenomena in like all the sectors today well as any marketer would tell you you know the consumer is driving this it's the expectations and the changing needs of the consumer which are driving these 
improvements to uh, you know delivery of service by different products across different mm-hmm. sectors mm-hmm. um and i think that changing consumer expectations again has to do with demographics as well uh, younger consumers uh tend to know more what they want uh, tend to want to focus more on the experience of shopping not just what they buy right uh, and i think today whether you walk into a retail store or into a restaurant um you're not just selling a pair of shoes or a meal i think you're selling an entire experience so right. when you want to enhance that experience um as they say in the future technology will get commoditized and actually the differentiator will remain the human element when when mm-hmm. young students ask me that you know will technology take away jobs for us in the future mm-hmm. i'd say your jobs and you will become more valuable in the future because you will be the difference technology wherever it goes at some point becomes commoditized it may right. be your specific algorithm it drives you soon or later it becomes commoditized right and and so in believing that uh, you know the human intervention will remain differentiated i think that's where the mm. need for educating young people becomes more acute i always tell parents and students uh, who are aspiring to join nish i said you know we will be educating students for jobs businesses careers which probably don't even exist today mm-hmm. you just have to uh, uh, roll back 10 12 years ago did any of us imagine that brands like amazon flipkart uber ola all what you think of today i mean did we even think that they'll become so generic to our lives uh, so correct. quickly correct in, correct in the same way uh, technology enhancements continued advent of uh, tech and uh, what what the post pandemic environment uh, with more contactless technologies and all those kind of things who knows what new businesses careers you spoke about e-commerce a little earlier mm-hmm. uh, many e-commerce companies have come out of the hospitality business i mean where do you think food delivery companies like zomato and swiggy started from if restaurants didn't make food they wouldn't have a business mm-hmm. where do you think make my trip gets its business from from selling hotel rooms and and airline tickets and travel uh, so the e-commerce business again spawned out of originally hospitality they have a starving need for people with hospitality education or certainly some hospitality skills and experience um right. uh, and, and and you know that's why my own sense is i can tell you that this millennial uh, uh, community which we're talking about uh, i see it with a ringside view because i'm in education and these students are studying with me but i always wonder that industry uh, mm-hmm. not just hospitality but any sector so long as leadership is still not yet with what the changes are happening they'll still think with the same parameters for young people they hire and that's mm-hmm. going to be the biggest challenge um if leaders are of a different genre but are setting hiring benchmarks as per their genre for younger demographics it's never going to work it's the employers who have to change to adapt to the need of new young employees and vice versa right we are uh going out on a limb to educate these students to you know inculcate mindsets and competencies which will last them their whole lives and career they're just smarter mm-hmm. now if an employer is still thinking the way they thought 20 years ago man you must be hard working you must be loyal to me i mean those don't exist in the lexicon of many young people i mean the loyalty to an organization or the security of a job these changing uh uh you know consumer uh, behaviors have to be understood in order to ensure that uh, education educates the right talent and then employers i'll give you an example in the post pandemic era you look at so many sectors already the big it companies have announced that most people work from home hospitality and airline companies saying hey we can work with half the number of people even if we are at full business we you know just recognized and realized those efficiencies during covid mm-hmm. and so suddenly Uh, um a 500 room hotel with 1000 people uh, figured out that they can operate with 500 people now they need 500 people to do the jobs of 1000 people they right. need smarter people within those 500 those 500 uh, people have to be equipped with new skills reskills upskills uh, i think that's maybe a bomb waiting to load as far as talent in all sectors of the industry is going to come out in the future mm mm-hmm. 
true absolutely very true very well said dilip okay so now since we are talking about students and we are talking about the younger generation uh, my uh, question to you is about understanding millennials i don't know why this seems like a riddle sometimes is it so complicated because millennial happens to be the student community at the same time millennials happens to be the tg for a lot of brands right so you have shaped up so many brands uh, dilip yourself like from luxury to mid scale we know that how how much millennials matter to us you know in terms of shaping up choices they're all on social media which is driving a lot of our business decisions to a large extent so what's this about understanding millennials who are they how do they think is it how how are they shaping up our uh, you know our choices and how do they look at getting big in the industry overall tell you what we do interestingly at ish every student who joins the institute Uh, has to if they don't already have create their own social handles in a minimum of two to three channels at this young mm-hmm. age we make sure for example that they haven't they have to set up their linkedin profiles uh, most of them already have insta profiles okay. most of them even have facebook but we we make them use their own social handles in a way in which we are building in them the mindsets of building their own brands online so mm-hmm. it is it is um you know madhulika a young student who's joined um and through making sure that her social handle is optimized in its use for whatever she wants um mm-hmm. she is actually assessed on that it's a part of their learning every quarter um whether whether it's the likes you got or the followers you found or the kind of things you reacted to what we're trying to do is build in them the mindset of the power of social media going forward and how they can use okay. it in business decisions management decisions but in doing that we're also building them up to understand what they want out of a brand because they're already you putting themselves out saying brand madhulika madhulika likes this um and so when they look at brands and what their aspirations are and which brands excite them and what experiences mm-hmm. excite them okay uh, i think a lot of those changes we are actually shaping those changes through education of these young people now the problem is that the decision makers in corporate in brands have to recognize that and also have to recognize the pace at which it's changing when we used to talk about the generation gap in my young years it was like 30 years was the generation Today, mm-hmm. less than five years is almost a generation. Um, that's how quick the pace of changes are in consumer behavior, right? Right. Um, my son, who's twenty-eight years old, who's my co-founder at ISH, when he looks at eighteen years olds coming in from school, he says, "Dad, I don't recognize these kids. They're not us." And he's yes. just ten- <laughs> true, true, right? absolutely. So yeah. I think I think uh, marketers and brands have to recognize. they recognize that yes the consumer mindset uh, uh, expectations behavior is changing they have to recognize the pace at which it is changing and towards what is it changing mm-hmm. for example okay. we we expect a graduate to go out with a mindset of totally recognizing understanding and respecting let's say sustainability diversity mm-hmm. equality mm-hmm. now marketers and brands have to understand that it is really a more important thing for this generation than it ever was before and so if you want your own brand communications to start reflecting that you need to recognize how important it is for the younger generation um and you know uh, right. like i said i have a ringside view because we are part of making or building these mindsets in young people correct correct time more and more um you know future thinking educational institutions will start focusing on these you know what we call equipping them with life skills Mm-hmm. a respect for diversity equality um a respect for the environment and sustainability these are not things you teach in class these are things which you try and build as mindsets in young we try and practice these things so for example our campus is a 100% you know plastic free campus there's no single use plastic allowed in ISH by mm-hmm. just uh, uh, studying in that environment over 4 years the student builds the mindset saying that um you know um plastic is bad mm-hmm. uh, i simply won't use it um similarly our gender ratios uh, of male and female students is almost 50% so we make okay. sure that the respect for equality diversity gender is very much a part of the students growing up in mindset rather than saying hey i'm putting in your into a classroom and teaching you Correct. what gender equality is you have to experience it 
And as they're experiencing it, they're building up their own mindsets to what they want to look for in brands which they go out and see buy. Hmm. True, true. No, I mean, this is amazing, really, because if we, I mean, if we are setting the foundation right for, for the students from day one, uh, I think it's going to be purely helpful for them when they start their careers, right? And so when they start their career, is that's where my next question to you is, uh, when anyone who's starting a career in any field for that matter, what are the challenges that one faces? Like today, the world is coming closer, right? We have a lot of opportunities, much more than what they existed like a decade back or two decades back or whenever. Uh, so new year ways of doing business are coming up, rise of digital online. There's a lot happening out there. But at the same time, uh, we feel that there are more challenges as well equally. So how, from your experience, particularly coming from you, what, how do you think one can face these challenges positively, right? What does one needs to remember as they're just about to enter into an industry? Or let's say if they are entering into sales and marketing industry right now, as we are talking on a, on a marketing show here. So what, what would be your advice rather? Uh, I think you made two points at the beginning of our conversation. Uh, you said it takes a while to find your calling. Hmm, uh, true. You also spoke about professions of the future. Um, right. So my, my take on this is really that um, your first job uh, matters, but I don't think it matters in the larger scheme of things. Mm -hmm. You might enter into a sector in a functional role in marketing. Mm -hmm. uh, will it be your calling for the rest of your life? You don't know that as yet. Right. Uh, it could be, it need not be. And if it is, uh, you will, and if you really are into that, uh, you will work for some years and you might go, go and get yourself another qualification, right? Like when right. people go and do an MBA after some work X is to say, okay, I finally discovered what excites me. Now let me go and learn more about it before I truly become a practitioner and a leader in it. Right. Um, so when, when I look at young students uh, today, we are, you know, uh, just about a year away from placing our first batch, and, you know, we're right into the process Um uh, because they will do one internship prior to their uh, graduation as well. Um, we are encouraging them to explore. We said, look, a safe job as a management trainee in a great either hospitality company or any other business, um, those are the easy jobs to have. Hmm. Uh, because we think our students would be well equipped and a notch above their peers, um, just given the kind of education I think we've tried to provide for them. Um, right. But they shouldn't get overwhelmed by the fact that, oh, man, is this my life? Mm -hmm. um, I think uh, students have to be encouraged uh, to, to continue to explore. Um, the later in life you have the opportunity to make your choices, the more successful you will be. It's my um, mm -hmm. It's a happen for me. I mean, I do an entrepreneur after turning 50. Right, I made that right. choice when late in life. Uh, right. uh, people want to make it younger and younger. We are admitting students when you ask them in the interviews, Mm -hmm. What do you want to do when you grow up, uh, when you finish going, I want to be an entrepreneur. Okay. Uh, okay. And, 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 you know, we have to temper those saying that, look, it's before you can think of becoming an entrepreneur, you've got to get, go and get an experience in the real world. Mm -hmm. um, you can't just pluck out entrepreneurship and saying, I'm ready to be an entrepreneur. Um, you might have a wealthy parent who might fund you a restaurant or fund you a, a business which excites you today. Uh, whether you have the true passion for it, the skills for it, the mindset for it, let your education help you decide that. Don't make that choice when you're finishing school. Uh, right. And we find right. that uh, students don't know what they want to do when they finish school. At 17, 18 years of age, um, uh, it, it's difficult to expect the students to know what their long-term career is going to be. Uh, there may be a small bunch of students who are STEM-focused, who know they're going to be you know, in the engineering or medical professions or any of those sort of things. But primarily, young school students, the whole idea of their undergraduate studies is to allow them to explore, uh, gain more understanding, knowledge, and then make the choices of what career excites them. True. Uh, so you should never force those choices upon a student starting their higher education. Similarly, when they finished undergraduate studies, many of them have a sense of what excites them, the kind of functional businesses they want to be in. But even then, you have to tell them that, look, go and check it out, explore it. Uh, if mm. it continues to excite you, you can then, if you want, go and pursue, you know, higher education of a master's to kind of really make your calling that. Uh, but again, to come back to your, the point you made, that it takes a while to find your calling. Um, mm. And that's what we try and instill in young students 
in order to both temper the expectations and keep their curiosity alive in terms Correct. of there's so many more things I have to explore before I can decide what really excites me. Correct. Correct. But they're also willing to take risk, right? They're not scared. They say, okay, fine. Even if we fail, we'll come back again. Uh, which was again a little different from how you know uh, i mean I for that there, yeah well there you have to in some ways both applaud as well as challenge the roles changing roles of parents uh, after all when young students finish high school looking for higher education even today you have so many parents who right from ninth standard are trying to tell the student beta science kar le beta mm-hmm. maths kar le so you're forcing your kid to study subjects they have no interest in, no intellect in, no passion for. And right. it's, it's like a recipe for disaster. Whereas if you let them at that time pursue what they want to do, um, it would allow them to make better choices. Uh, true. It true. would allow them to flower and blossom in what they really have interest in. You know, if somebody really is involved with literature, let her study that. Let him study that. True. And, and so those kind of things which where parental attitudes are changing, that's helping students uh, be a little more braver about, you know, they're not scared. They, they don't look at job security the way their parents did. Um, they don't look, yo, I've got a job and I've got to stay in it for 10 years. Um, mm-hmm. So all those changing uh, uh, are a part of, you know, the demographics and the generational change we talked about earlier. But it requires a significant shift in parental attitudes as well as you know, we've brought up uh, and made part of our value system is, you know, respect and uh, learnings from our own families and parents. Uh, I think so it requires parents to also learn mm-hmm. faster to adapt that saying, my kid at his age is not what I was at my age. The worst right. thing you can tell your kid is, Beta jab main mar ka tha. you know, they look at you and yes. say, which age are you talking about? I don't know that age. <laughs> Correct. Um, did your age have the internet availability and the access to knowledge information, which I have? No, it didn't. So allow me to express my views when you think that I should not be expressing my views because at 18, if you're with a group of adults, you should still be uh, seen, not heard. You know, young people want to express themselves. Um, but parents who are more evolved in their thinking, more liberal in their thinking, I think we see because, you know, we we, we, we spend so much of our time uh, in the admissions process to truly understand a young person's personality uh, before figuring out for ourselves, is our kind of education suited for the student mm-hmm. and to find out from the student that is this what they really want to do. And because right. it's a decision which parents and students make together, we often land up educating parents as much as we do the students themselves. Correct. Correct. Absolutely. Absolutely. No, this is uh, amazing insights delay because I, I was in fact just going to ask you this, like what's your, while we are talking so much about the millennials, the younger generation, the students, what's your message to the parents? And you just answered that. You just uh, shared your views on the same. So as a, as a concluding message, uh, Dilip, what would be your uh, your message overall to the new entrants, right? What is that one takeaway you want, uh, you know, all of us to to understand better? Uh, when young people after an education are entering their work lives, um, mm-hmm. and for purposes of this show, let's, you know, talk about students who aspire to be in the arena of marketing, uh, which is a very broad arena by itself. Um, we have a significant number of students who expressed great interest, as you would imagine, in digital marketing. Right. Um, because clearly, um, you know, the digital world is uh, uh, the future. And I think our students clearly have the recognition for that. But you can apply digital marketing into almost every business. Right. Right. So Absolutely. It's a services business or even if you're selling for growing food. Um, and, and, and my message would be that um, your early years of work, uh, you should really think of yourself as a sponge. You have to just keep absorbing whatever you're experiencing, um, allowing yourself to make better, smarter choices for what you really want. Don't force yourself to like a job. Uh, the job must like you too. And if, if, if you and what you're doing don't vibe, you're bored of what you're doing. I'll give you an example of my own younger son. He's... Mm-hmm young guy he finished hospitality but he's a technology guy now he he went okay. and he said he wanted to be a coder so he lives in amsterdam and he codes and after a year of doing that because he's new to it uh he works with teams who are more experienced than him so he's sometimes not able to finish 
his work in the hours given for that. That's how, you know, tech okay. works. That you have okay. to kind of uh, uh, work on deadlines for projects and all that. And mm-hmm. so he has to take out more hours from his time in order to complete his work. And mm-hmm. that's challenging him today, as an okay. example. Okay. Right. Now, either he has to realize that a couple of more years and I'll be as adept to finish the work in time. I would have learned more. Or at this time, he decides, you know, I don't want to be doing something where these deadlines aren't working and I'm not happy. True. True. So in the first few years of your work life, you begin to experience these things which are so valuable in you then making the choice of what is it that you really want to do. Correct. Yeah. Uh, Today, you'll see more and more young people thinking even about working in the social sector, in the development sector, which Hmm. we heard of a few years ago. Correct. Um, Correct. You know, and that's, I think, a lot of credit we would in the future take because we've tried to build young students with those mindsets. We we always tell parents that the first priority for me is for my student graduating to become a socially responsible citizen before anything else. Right. If you are, if you can be socially responsible, almost certainly you'll be successful. Um, and, and and so I would always urge young students to continue their path of exploration in the early part of their career and journey um, and really work towards seeing, is this something that excites me? Am I having fun? Do I want to learn it more to do it better later? And then mm. they'll find their calling. Uh, and during that journey, they might look at doing even more super specialized education to kind of um, expand their learnings and where they found their passion. Um, those are some of the things I would advise young people getting into the workplace. Wow, wonderful. Uh, amazing uh, to, you know, this is a learning for me as well, Dilip, what you just said about we need to keep absorbing while it's uh, relevant for the for the younger generation getting in and just beginning to start their career. But I think this kind of applies to, to everyone and, you know, to just keep absorbing and become like a sponge, right? It, it really helps. It does help. Uh, thank you so much, Dilip. This, these were amazing insights. Got to know so many things from you about your experience and different learnings. Um, and I hope one day everyone finds their true calling. And, and as you said, it, it takes time. It takes a while for it to happen. So till then, we enjoy our journey. Uh, thank you once again for being on the show. Thank you for taking out time, Dilip. Thank you, Madhulika. It was nice to be on the show. And uh, uh, I hope to... Uh, have more opportunities to be able to continue to add any value I can. As I said, my uh, journey towards entrepreneurship started from the desire to how can I uh, transfer these rich knowledge I've gained over my 30 years in a meaningful way as learning to young people. And I continue to, uh, uh, you know, be passionate about that. So an opportunity like this is indeed very exciting. So thank you very much for having me. Absolutely. Thank you so much. Thank you for tuning in. If you have liked this episode, do comment your thoughts or DM us on Instagram at Etilog Media. Do rate us on Apple Podcast and subscribe to Brewing Talks on Epilog Media website or your favorite podcast app like GeoSavan, Ghana, Spotify, Apple Podcast so that you get notified when we come next. Stay subscribed. I shall catch up with you in the next episode. Till then, stay creative, stay safe and take care.